0: For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive.
2: Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Erin Ruley and she is founder and accounting professional at Alice Fran. We're going to find out more about that company, about her background. With that, Erin, welcome to the program.
3: Thank you for having me, Bruce.
2: So why don't we start with a little bit of your background? I know that you've been involved in various things, like many people in the cannabis space. So why don't we hear a little bit about professionally, how your background, how you got into cannabis, and then we'll talk a little bit about the accounting and finance side of cannabis businesses, an important and fascinating topic for various reasons, which we'll get into. But let's learn a little about you first. So tell us more.
3: Okay. I... Graduated from the University of Massachusetts Amherst with a degree in anthropology and a certificate in international relations. I had the good fortune of starting my career at the Boston Consulting Group as an administrative professional supporting three different internal finance functions. And I enjoyed the finance pieces. So I decided to go back to school and I went to Suffolk University in Boston um, and got my MBA with a concentration in finance. My first job after grad school was uh, seafood manufacturing. It was a fantastic job other than always smelling like (laughs) fried fish. (laughs) I had some uh, very fantastic mentors at, at that position and I grew from a financial analyst there, moved on to a law firm and became a senior financial analyst and then moved into the manager of financial planning and analysis role at the law firm. Then I took a step back starting about 2012 when my mom was diagnosed with multiple myeloma yeah. and I needed to I needed to focus on her. So I did some different contract positions and consulting positions. And then in 2015, after my mom passed away, I decided to do something I always wanted to do. And I went to pastry school at the Cambridge School of Culinary Arts. Oh, that's great. Um, I was the second oldest uh, in the <laughs> class, so I was not the oldest. Um, and it was a certificate program. It was an incredible experience. I also was able to work in the industry For the rest of that year, everything from fine dining at Legal Harborside in Boston to working at Sofa Bakery in Cambridge and ending that year with a a farm baking job up in Ipswich, Massachusetts. Sure. And then decided it was time to go back into finance because 12-hour days on your feet after a certain age. Yeah. Is a challenge. Yeah. Um, and so, and I had invested so much in my finance career and I, I really missed a lot of the aspects of that. So, my husband and I relocated to Los Angeles and I took a job as the senior operations controller at Wolfgang Puck Catering. And it's while I was here in Los Angeles that cannabis is so normalized here huh. compared to the rest of the country. And in the summer of 2017, I said, well, I'm going to get my medical card to see if I can experiment with CBD for, you know, just your usual, you know, work-related, mm-hmm. living in LA traffic-related anxiety. And sure. it was it was phenomenal. Yeah. And from there, you know, I, I looked back on this 15-year span of my finance career and said, am I going to stay in corporate? And continue to pursue, you know, the next level, that director level, into a CFO, into a COO, or do I want to go out on my own? And I really felt like I had such a varied background that my skills would be more useful, and I'd be happier if I went out on my own. And I transitioned out of uh, Wolfgang Puck. And when I was thinking about an industry, I had been thinking about getting into cannabis, and then my husband heard about the dope CFO program on a podcast, just like (laughs) it works. (laughs) It does. And he said, Aaron, I think that this is a really good fit. So it was about this time last year that we, we really started getting engaged in the cannabis industry with the California business. A conference that mm-hmm. was in Anaheim around this time last year. And from there, it's been 150% complete immersion <laughs> into the industry. Yeah. Conferences and networking events and webinars and reading and the Dope CFO program and, and, and talking to clients a not so straightforward journey, but I I do feel like everything that I've done in the past has led me here.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's often the case or often the story that I hear is that this is a, this is a chance to kind of pull together lots of different aspects of people's lives into really the next phase of their career. And, you know, especially being an entrepreneur like that, that's when you're, you're tested at all levels. (laughs) So I get that. Yes. So tell me, I, I like to ask this of folks that came out of i will say you know more kind of traditional or you know somewhat straight laced kind of industries coming into cannabis what have been the you know, kind of challenges or transitions you've had to make either personally or professionally to be able to go from you know what has been some fairly i will say yeah kind of straight straight laced professions or backgrounds you know certainly you know BCG you know you know talk talk about the fairly traditional kind of industries going into cannabis, what are the what are the changes that you've had to make or the transitions you've had to make?
3: Well, I I think the one that's been hard that's been most difficult for me is that communicating what my skills and background is effectively to cannabis businesses. There are a lot of folks like myself, I call us corporate to cannabis, um, who are certainly very familiar with your traditional accounting and finance within larger organizations. You have your accounting, you have your tax, you have your financial planning and analysis. But there's a lot of people in this space that are either entrepreneurs like myself or Mm -hmm. who have been operating in the industry for decades that maybe aren't as familiar with the finance and accounting function and how important it is yeah. to, to running a, a successful business and being able to compete against those traditional businesses. I think from a, a personal standpoint, I'm, I'm used to very formal levels of communication and really tight deadlines And I find that this industry is a lot more, I don't want to say laid back, but informal and relationship based. So the same kind of communication that I've relied on for my whole career is not necessarily the style of communication that I need to use within the industry.
2: Yeah, yeah, I think that's true. I I end up working with a lot of companies who are are growing very quickly and they're trying to bring in talent. and. Oftentimes, I recruit talent from from like pharmaceuticals and and things like that. And and it is it's a transition that everyone can make. And the industry does have a certain style and a way of working and a, and a different set of norms. That if you're coming out of you know really really developed industries, really formal industries, you know, particularly coming out of you know law and accounting and pharmaceutical and regulatory stuff, it can be a tough transition. So I'm I'm not surprised. So in terms of your focus now, I mean, where what are the solutions that you help companies with? What are the kind of problems or engagements? I mean, how are you involved with the cannabis companies and and what is the work that you do these days?
3: So Alice and Fran is a virtual controller slash part-time CFO service. Okay. So what we do is we bridge the gap between the bookkeeper and the CPA. The bookkeeper enters all the daily transactions and you know might run some basic reports might do some light payroll pay some invoices and then on the other end your CPA does your annual tax filings some of them might do quarterly returns what we do is for smaller companies who aren't yet ready to hire a full accounting and finance internal team we fill that role so You're reviewing the bookkeeper's month-end close, monthly reporting, packages, setting up a professional data room for all of the documents, presentations. A lot of companies, as you know, get funding from investors, and so those investors want to see quarterly financials and projections. Uh, We do rolling cash forecasts, and these are all for plant-touching businesses because they're subject to the Internal Revenue Code 280E. Mm-hmm. and the 280E says is it's very short and it's businesses can't deduct the normal cost of doing businesses if they are plant touching, if they are any way involved in the processing or sale or transportation or cultivation of cannabis. And those normal business expenses are Marketing and sales and meals and entertainment, advertising, even rent in a lot of cases is not deductible. So that leads to a significant tax burden on these cannabis companies. And the only way to minimize that is to properly account for your cost of goods sold. And you do that through um, a series of, you set up allocations for things like rent and utilities and security and maintenance and equipment. And depending on the type of business, whether it's retail or manufacturing or cultivation, we use those allocations to put costs into work in progress and ultimately cost of goods sold in a way that's consistent and will be seen as reasonable by the IRS. So I would say that the biggest problem that we help our clients with is understanding 280E and understanding how to do, understanding why it's important to do the cost accounting for their cost of goods sold to minimize their tax burdens. Got it. That is our main business. I'm finding, though, on a lot of the calls I've been having recently with prospective clients that it's a broader business business kind of gap that they need filling in terms of things like making sure they have workers compensation insurance and someone has completed osha training Mm -hmm. so we help with those things too just because with my background i've been involved and had exposure to those things And it's been really, it's been really interesting. And it's been great, because I like to use all of my skills to do a little bit of everything.
2: Yeah. So a couple questions. One, how, I mean, I guess, what's your working model or definition for who's going to fall under these restrictions, the IRS restrictions around, you know, if you can deduct these ordinary business expenses, is there a test that you use or is there a test the industry uses around, you know, if you're going to be subject to this?
3: Yes. So it's whether or not you take possession of the cannabis. So if you are a cultivator, a dispensary, a manufacturer or processor in terms of let's say edibles mm-hmm. or oils, tinctures, or a distributor. If you're just you know picking it up and mm-hmm. you know picking up the products from the manufacturers or the brands and taking them out to the dispensaries, they are all subject to 280e. The only businesses that aren't subject to 280e are those like Alice and Fran.
2: Yeah, yeah, consulting um, services and yourself
3: yeah ancillary businesses
2: yeah. Um, how does it, so someone we, like um I was kind of curious if if you've run into this how does someone like a like a testing lab you know so they they will handle the product for the purposes of providing the service, but they you know i don't, I don't know does that qualify as taking possession? Have you run into these cases?
3: I haven't run into the testing labs specifically, the network that I'm a part of um accounting for cannabis. Mm-hmm. I think that there is consensus that, yes, the testing labs yeah. will be subject to 280E. But with the the manufacturers and the cultivators and most likely the testing labs, they have an advantage because – More of what they do goes into the cost of goods sold. Yeah, yeah. Versus a retailer where really the only cost for the retailer is the cost of the cannabis, not the security or the armored car. Or the or you know labor. Hmm. So you know you have your sales, and then you you have the cost of the cannabis, and that's what you're taxed on.
2: Yeah. So that's an interesting one because I think, uh, and I want to make sure people understand this point. So so the way that uh, 280 is set up is that you you can deduct cost of goods. You cannot deduct your other ordinary business expenses. But if you can basically track, allocate, and assign uh, some of these expenses. To cost of good, then you can actually deduct them. But how, what do you need to do to do that effectively from a uh, staying compliance or or being able to deduct it with from an IRS point of view? What does that process look like?
3: So that process, um, the first thing is you have to have GAAP, generally accepted accounting principle, mm-hmm. uh, financials, okay. and you have to have monthly financials. You know, the the cost accounting can be done monthly or quarterly. Mm-hmm. But you have to show that you're completing financials every month, according to according to GAP. And then you have to have a reasonable set of assumptions for documented to show exactly what you have included in your cost of goods sold and what you haven't included. So that process is something that, you know, a cannabis, a cannabis accountant would work with the business owners to identify the square footage of, you know, the indoor grow facility that actually is grown. Got it. You can can deduct the square footage.
2: That's, that's actually associated with growing the plant, but you can't deduct the front office or your shipping room and things like that.
3: Correct. Correct. And the way and it would be on a square footage basis, uh-huh. and then that's applied to your work in progress where the plants are. We have a, you know, client grow calendar. And what that does is it tracks all the different varieties, the number of plants, how long they take to flower, you know, using those allocations on space. And, you know, you may have an employee and all they do is water. So 100 percent of their time, you know, could theoretically, if you set up your allocations correctly, be included in cost of goods sold. It's really it's about documentation of your allocations. It's about consistency in your financials and it's about understanding you're being taxed unfairly. Well, I mean, that's <laughs> the feeling is that people are being taxed. I,
2: I would agree, but I think that's a judgment.
3: <laughs> yes, I mean, I agree as well. But you can't get around to ADE. Yeah. A lot of people are, you know, a lot of companies are out there and they're setting up management companies and holding companies and complex structures hoping to be able to avoid 280E, but Uh, we're seeing time and again that the IRS is, they're using their own judgment.
2: Yeah. Yeah. How cut and dry is this? Or are you dealing with kind of a situation of, you know, at the end of the day, it's going to be dependent on, you know, how, what the IRS kind of deems as being qualifying or not qualifying. Like it, it sounds like some of this is being super buttoned up so that you don't run the risk that the IRS might come in and say, well, look, you didn't do this right. So we're not going to we're going to all of a sudden tax you on all this income that you thought you were going to be able to deduct.
3: It's it's really the it's really the consistency yeah. and having someone. So one of the things about the accounting for cannabis and we all you know, everyone that's in my network, you know, we, we stress this is that. You don't necessarily need to work with me, but you do need to work with a cannabis accountant because this cost accounting is the last time I had seen it was at Fishery Products. Uh, That was my first job um, (laughs) on grad school. And it's not something that a lot of people do. It's not necessarily even a course that most, you know, accountants would take. So having knowing how to do the cost accounting, being up to date on the 280E and having that consistency is just so important because I think the feeling is that it's not a question of if the IRS is going to audit yeah. cannabis companies, it's when. Yeah. And there was, I mean, there was even a, it was very recently the IRS had made a judgment on whether or not they could classify someone as a schedule 1 company and and hold them to to 280e and that was upheld that the IRS does have the right to yeah. to make that judgment.
2: Yeah. Interesting. And is this something, is this something you can do retroactively if like, if you don't, if you haven't had this in place for the year, can you kind of figure this out historically? Or does it require this stuff to be figured out up front or put in place up front in order to, to have it work?
3: Uh, we know it can be done to 2019 is definitely still doable. You know, we're, we're in the second half of the year now. So I'm encouraging people not to wait much longer yeah. because, you know, the further along we get in the year, the more there is to fix and also the less time it leaves to get ready for 2020 in terms of budgeting and forecasting and processes. But, you know, I mean, right now, I'm still talking to a lot of people who haven't filed their 2018 taxes and are still looking for someone um, to do those. Getting it set up up front saves a lot of time and money. Yeah, I mean, I guess, like most things, like most things, you know, going in and being able to implement that cannabis specific chart of accounts for retail or a grow, getting QuickBooks or Zero or Accounting Suite all set up, your cash handling policies, an employee training manual, all the allocations, it really, it just, it puts you in a position to compete based on your product or your service because you're not Focused on all of the numbers, you're actually. We try to let the CEOs and the COOs focus on the business, and there's some CFOs we do work with on a support basis because, again, as you know, most cannabis companies are they're cash strapped, and Mm -hmm. you know they're just doing the best they can. So there's not a lot of resources for internal hires.
2: Yeah, yeah, and I think it's it's an important point there, which I think a lot of people end up looking at the. The books or their financials, as kind of requirement they need for paying taxes and reporting to investors. But you know, if done right, or if if done, you know, kind of properly, you know, they really become a great tool for managing the business. And I think a lot of a lot of senior leaders kind of miss that. I think in many industries, particularly in cannabis, I think there's a certain. Aversion to the numbers or a certain inability to kind of look at the numbers as a management tool and really see, like, how is the business doing? Like, what is that? The numbers can tell you a lot about what's happening in your business if you set them up right and if you're looking at them with the right lens. I mean, talk to us a little bit about how you work with the senior folks to, yeah, I guess you, use the numbers as a management tool, not just as, uh, you know, kind of a, a reporting checkbox that you have to. You have to close every month, but how can you use it to actually understand how your business is operating?
3: Well, we haven't reached the point of that with most clients because (laughs) most clients take a month or two of cleanup before we can really get rolling. Some of the discussions that I've had in the plans we have in place for the second half of the year are... You know, the industry is coming up on year two, so we're starting to have some data, historical data that, you know, can be useful. And I think the first step is to make this information useful is to figure out what the important metrics are in your business. Yeah. Um, I'm most familiar at this stage with retail. So knowing where your, what day of the week is your biggest sales day? What's your slowest sales day? What promotions are you running that are doing, you know, really well? What is your, you know, what are your hours, you know, employee hours that are worked during the week? Are there opportunities to move some people around and, you know, are there opportunities in cross-training um, different yeah. employees? And then there's also, in terms of using the data correctly, a lot of companies right now don't have a rolling cash forecast. And it's particularly important for companies who either have investors or are, you know, self-funded to have a rolling cash forecast. You know, if you're brand new and you're really short on money, then I, you know, I suggest a 90 day. If you're more established and you have some access to funding, I would suggest a six to nine month to help the executives plan what they're going to do when if your sales are slow in March, then you know let's look at you know reducing labor hours. But you're going to do great around the Fourth of July. That might be a nice time to do a a marketing push. Um, but you know we identify you know a set of key metrics, whether that's price or sales, um, and they evolve over time And setting up key metrics dashboard. You know, it doesn't have to be complicated. I usually, you know, do the mix in Excel or PowerPoint. And it shows you how those key things are performing month over month and soon year over year or quarter over quarter. So that they can take that information and make decisions on price, store hours, promotions. Staffing levels.
2: Yeah. I think it's interesting. And I mean, I I don't think many companies actually do cash forecasting, unfortunately, from from what I've seen, but it's a really powerful tool. Like, if you actually sit down and figure out, okay, week by week, you know, what are the expenses or what are the payments we're going to make? What is the income we're going to have? Where does it leave us in terms of a cash balance? That that can be super insightful either way. Like, sometimes it's like, oh my gosh, you know, in six weeks, you know, based on how we project, we're going to be, you know, running very, very short or potentially negative. What are we going to do? You know, how do we defer exactly. expenses? How do we increase, how do we move, move income forward? Or how do we get revenue in sooner? And that could be around, you know, payment terms. It could be yeah around, you know, promotions and sales. I mean, there's, there's various strategies there, but that can be hugely insightful. In fact, it can be, you know, it can be an existential <laughs> issue if you, if you haven't planned that and you run into that week and you realize that you're not going to be able to make payroll. That's, you know, those are, those are, those are serious problems. But, 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 the flip side too, is that I've, I've seen situations where we do that and we look out, you know, three months, six months, and we actually see we're going to have a big you know, cash surplus, uh, and you know wh- that is an opportunity, and and it could be you know a, a wasted opportunity if you don't have that mapped and you don't see that and understand how you're going to use that capital and you know to drive the business. It could be you know it could be really interesting when once companies get good at mapping that out. So, I highly recommend that cash flow forecasting at some level, you know, either I'd say at least a week to week is. It's kind of a good model.
3: And I think it depends on the on the size of the business and and the type of funding. And, you know, even for a mom and pop dispensary, you know, if you're doing a, you know, just a a simple 90 day rolling cash forecast and you see that in six weeks that you're not going to be able to meet your full payroll or Mm -hmm. you're you're going into the red, it gives you time to consider what can we do? Yeah. Can we get a friends and family loan? Can we find investors? Or is it as simple as reducing your bud tenders to, you know, a part time schedule for a few weeks because people would rather be reduced to a part time schedule than let go. And those are the kind of things that understanding the numbers in and out in day to day, it's so powerful.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Having a couple of weeks to figure that out is much different than figuring that on Tuesday when you got to make payroll on Friday. You know, the options up into you are, are much greater.
3: Because those those kinds of emergencies and those kind of issues, they're what's keeping it's what's keeping people up at night. Yeah. And it's what it's what they're focused on rather than, you know, maybe tracking. I mean, store hours, if you're tracking these things and no one's coming in after eight o'clock at night, do you need to be open till 10? Yeah. That's two hours more of security and utilities.
2: Yep. Yeah, no, really. And that's why I said, like, if you have if you have a well set up chart of accounts that maps to sort of business decisions that you can make that change, you know, the the outcomes, like the numbers can be a really, really effective tool. I mean, if, if you've set up your, your chart of accounts, just being kind of reporting taxes, you know, it can often be very difficult to kind of tease out of that. Well, what's the insight? What, what are the management operational insights that I can understand about my business through my numbers? And, but if you set it up right, it's it's quite easy as actually it's hard to miss <laughs> once you once you do it right and you really start looking at the numbers if you set it up right it can be pretty yeah. obvious
3: and that's what the great thing is about the cannabis specific chart of accounts that we have is that we can do your monthly reporting so you see your you know your your profit and loss your income statement as any quote-unquote normal business would but then we also have the cost accounting to do the taxes for the cost of goods sold
1: so exactly. that yeah.
3: you know you have kind of both of those views because you know the taxes, yes, are important. You have to get that right. You don't want to pay fines and penalties. Yeah. But you also want to see how your business is doing from a perspective of it's a business, yeah. not just a cannabis business. Yeah,
2: yeah. Aaron, this has been great. If people want to find out more about you, about Alice and Fran, what's the best way to get that information?
3: They can go to uh, aliceandfran.com. Or send me an email at emruly at allisonfran.com. I'm also on Instagram at alisonfran underscore LA, where we're based out of. And... Yeah, you Great. can you can head over to the website, read the story of of how we got our name. Yeah, it's
2: a fun story. I, I, if uh, if people have time, go check it out. It's 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 very touching.
3: Yes, and um, thank you so much for letting me share some information and um, just talk through some of the important accounting and
2: finance yeah no my pleasure i think we we covered a lot of really good important things i think for for anyone in the business even if you're not touching the plant chances are you work with somebody who's touching the plant so so understanding what they're going through and kind of dynamics there is is really critical for anyone in the business Uh, and i'll make sure that those links and uh, email address and the instagram handle are in the show notes so people can click through and get that uh again aaron thank you very much for the time it was a pleasure and i appreciate you being on
3: thank you so much bruce have a wonderful day